Hello, everyone. I'm here for one of my stories. This is Lindsay Dunn. And this evening, I have a guest that you may recognize from our other collaborations in the past. Now, Chris, it's been a hot minute since you've been on the show. Could So could you remind everybody what you are <laughs> and what you do? And also, you've had a slight job change, you know, since. Um, so you might want to plug your company. Sure. What I am is a human being. <laughs> and <laughs> my name is Chris Kirkman. People most love me for Dice Hate Me Games and Dice Hate Me. Always be branding, number one, number one rule. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Dice Hate Me in Dice Hate Me Games, uh, Dice Hate Me Games was founded in 2011. I merged with Greater Than Games in 2015. Last spring, I separated from that company and restarted the initial brand of Dice Hate Me Games. So that's kind of the shift I'm going through now. I've been trying to rebuild and get a uh, game ready for Kickstarter, which launches in a couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and then I think the last time the last time we talked was Cobra Kai, right? Or was it Fast and Furious? I think, yeah, I can't remember. But we did, we did Cobra Kai. Yeah. <clears throat> we did Fast and Furious. And in fact, with the new Fast X movie coming up, I am probably going to be using, making a short out of your cocktail recipe um to, before the movie so yeah those were fun episodes that i you know i actually met a new podcaster last week and we were doing the thing where we check each other out and he said i'm listening to you your fast and furious episode so it's like yeah people are into that franchise still aren't they they are uh i don't think until everybody in the fast franchise gets tired of doing it they'll keep making them because they're just getting more and more ridiculous every time. It's going to be great. This next one is going to be awesome. Yeah. But we are not here to talk about the Fast and Furious no. franchise this time. We are here to talk about the Evil Dead franchise. The reason we're doing this, my reason, is that the new movie is coming out next week, Evil Dead Rise. I thought, well, this is the perfect time to finally watch these movies that you have been talking about for so long. Like, I think since I've met you, you will randomly throw in Ash quotes or Evil Dead quotes, and I have no idea what you're what you're talking about. And of course, there's the the high fidelity, you know, the Jack Black quote, um, quotes about Evil Dead 2 and not watching it yet, you know, and I related yes. to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sort of the newbie coming in. I'm sort of the newbie coming in, watching these movies for the first time. While well, you're an old hat, and it's in your DNA. With, with yeah, Morgan. I've been watching them since the beginning, almost. Yeah, so... I mean, I'm not like... that old, but, but almost yeah. since the beginning. <laughs> so I kind of want to start with your history with the franchise. One of the points I really would like you to cover is what, it, while you're doing that, make sure you talk about in what order you have order watched the movies. Like, did you start with the first one? Did you start with the second one and go back? So talk to us about your history with Evil Dead and when you got introduced to the movies and what your memories are of that. My order is Evil Dead 2, Evil Dead 1, and Army of Darkness. Uh, so Evil Dead, since Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead came out in 1981, it was it was a cult classic on VHS, but of course, you know, I mean, I was when it came out, I was what seven. So, uh, I my parents took me to very inappropriate films when I was young, but it wasn't wasn't like Evil Dead. So 
uh, I had to wait till Evil Dead 2 came out. A friend of mine who was really into horror and geeky stuff and things like that, he had a uh, actually very early bootleg copy of Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. And we watched it, I think it was probably the year after it was released, released in theaters or by maybe six months or so after it was released in theaters. So sixth or seventh grade, I was exposed to Evil Dead and Sam Raimi. And I love the movie. We uh, we both did. It's just one of those things that you gravitate toward, especially even at that age, because I was I was an early budding horror fan. I unabashedly probably watched, read my first Stephen King novel, probably maybe sixth grade. I don't know, seventh probably. So I was exposed to those types of things pretty early, and I really got into the background of it. He used to collect Vangoria. We would read those. And anyway, as soon as I saw Evil Dead two, he mentioned, of course, there was Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead. So I wanted to see it, and so we found a copy of it and watched it about maybe a year later. And so, again, I was exposed to it in a slightly backwards fashion, but mm-hmm. it allowed me to see the changes in an interesting retro way, to see the things that happened in Evil Dead 2, and then how the first one had, you know, had rehashed, you know, retroactively rehashed what was in Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, by the time I was in high school, or toward the end of high school, Army of Darkness came out. And of course, that was just, you know, a, not just a completely different film, but an awesome continuation. So it kind of hit me at the right time where action and comedy and horror were all coming together. And it was just a perfect blend. And so throughout college, I introduced Army of Darkness to all kinds of people. So, so that's kind of my history of the, the franchise. And with Raimi, and I also watched, of course, Simple Plan and some of the other side projects that Raimi had done, Sam Raimi had done. And of course I was a huge fan of Bruce, but you know, he wasn't doing quite as much unless he showed up in Congo and ticked me off because they killed him off within the first five minutes. Spoilers, by the way, but anyway. (laughs) You would introduce people to the franchise with ARMY, it sounds like. You said you introduced people to ARMY, so you would use that as your gateway. Typically in college, I would introduce people with, with Army of Darkness, yes. And I think it was only because it felt more, not necessarily, there were a lot of people who did like indie stuff, but Army of Darkness had a slightly more polished edge to it. It was mm-hmm. a little bit more action adventure than it was full on horror like Evil Dead 2 was. So it was a little more approachable. But once people saw Army, they are like, what else is there? And I would show mm-hmm. Evil Dead 2, of course, things like that. So did you see that one in the theater or did you see it in on a rental for the first time, Army? Army of Darkness, I saw rental the first time, but of course it was re-released while I was in college. It was also shown at several horror screens that we had in college. So I've seen it several times on the big screen, actually. Mm-hmm. What about the other two? The other two, I've, I've seen Evil Dead on the screen. I've never seen the original uh, Evil Dead 2 on the screen a couple times. I've never actually seen the original Evil Dead on the screen. Um I mean, I'd love to if I had a chance, but it's rare that you see that one being screened. That's very interesting to think about how you get introduced to these because they are so, each movie is so different in the franchise. And it's interesting that you, you started, you would often introduce it with ARMY because I guess that's kind of how I feel about you know, when I saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which you had brought up at, at one point, you know, not in this podcast, but I feel like the, the 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 strength of that movie is that it does hit several things. Like it has action, it has comedy, it has a heist, 
So even if you're not into Dungeons and Dragons, the game, it's it's right. made so to have that mass appeal that different appeals, different hooks that you can bring people in to it. Absolutely. Uh, so that's introduces, very, very introduces mass audiences to a very not not very bit, but overly geeky uh sensibility mm -hmm. and, and universe. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I know that you saw a medieval, a medieval horror at the age of four, but um, <laughs> you know, you saw a lot of horror. You mentioned you made a statement when you were talking about your history that you were allowed to watch some horror, but not evil dead horror. So you sort of put put it in a different class when you made that statement. And I want to press into that a little bit. What, as opposed to like other horror coming out at this time, how do you feel like about what kind of horror was being made and how evil dead might've been more horrific or more or less <laughs> appropriate for kids than other. I don't, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if it was completely less appropriate. I mean, it's it's circumstantial, but I'll, I'll talk about it in a retro fashion too, having watched some films that were mm -hmm. previous to Evil Dead that I had not seen before then. But uh, my parents, you know, sometimes would, you know, see the reviews or some of the, 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 the movies that were getting more hype, uh, like Poltergeist. Let's, put, let's just shoot Poltergeist as mm -hmm. a list. So Poltergeist came out about the same time and my parents, you know, were really interested in that movie. And for whatever reason, they took me to see it. I was horrified. I was scarred for life. But at the same time, it was, uh, you know, one of those experiences that stuck with me. So I was able to watch. So Evil Dead, and I think just my, it would pass by my parents because the original Evil Dead was very much, we would go to the drive-in, but it was very much one of those, you know, midnight drive-in movies that people would go and see, you know, the grindhouse kind of, of feel. And it's one of those things that I would only be able to catch from time to time because of going to the drive-in. It's not a movie particularly that my parents would probably have wanted to see. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those independent films. And I will get to another independent film here in a second, <laughs> though. So the, the movies I feel like that I've seen retroactively since then, which was actually pretty early in my life as well, and I probably even around the same time of Evil Dead 2, were things like uh, Halloween. You know, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. Actually, my parents took me to see The Thing in the theater, which you've seen The Thing in the theater with me, which is, again, you can see how horrified as a kid you might be, but it stuck with me for so long that it kind of became part of that. But that indie feel that John Carpenter started with Halloween is a big one. And I feel like we can go all the way back to Night of the Living Dead. Um, mm. I think that... The predecessors to Evil Dead really probably started with Night of the Living Dead. And I know that Sam Raimi's even said that as well. That's a huge mm -hmm. influence for Evil Dead to begin with. So as far as like your original question, like what would make Evil Dead inappropriate versus another movie that's a predecessor or around the same time? Nothing. Other than the fact that Evil Dead just wasn't available. I think that, mm. although I will say that there are parts of Evil Dead, and we'll get to this when we talk about Evil Dead too that I believe Raimi just did a sort of a parody of things. Like he just went over the top for a specific reason to elicit a response. And it's so over the top sometimes that it becomes parody. It becomes humorous. And in that way, sometimes Evil, the Evil Dead series, especially Evil Dead 1 and 2, are approachable to people because people start kind of laughing 
in places yeah. mm -hmm. and it makes them feel more at ease but then the horror kind of comes and surprises them at the same time saw that too like they, one of the two of the influences cited were night of the living dead and texas chainsaw massacre chainsaw. now that's that's a pretty bloody movie yes but yet this movie the original you know evil dead it was rated x and there was there was, there was the time of the video nasties they they talked about and things that yeah. were just inappropriate and I guess pro possibly the amount, the amount of blood and all that, but you mentioned Halloween. Now that's, that's a slasher. Um, and then what you said, Nightmare on Elm Street too, that also came out about the same time or before. It came out in 84. So, okay. uh, so it's a, you know, sorry, we talked about a little bit about Wes Craven and, and his influence and in doing the Hills Have Eyes previously. Mm -hmm. But I think that the act after Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead, some of the movies started to gain more traction and started to kind of get that over-the-top gore because if you remember, you've seen on that on Home Street, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so you remember when Johnny Depp bites it. Like, there's so much blood that there's no way that the human body could contain that much blood. <laughs> so, it's the same thing like in Evil Dead. There's caro syrup everywhere. There's stuff just flying everywhere. And it's even more so in Evil Dead too, of course. So there are influences, I think. Yes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a bloody film, but it wasn't, if you go back and think about it and look at it, it wasn't quite as bloody as some of the later stuff, including where Raimi started doing Evil Dead and doing over-the-top things, especially Evil Dead 2. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. just the way I I ended up, not quite as young as you, but I ended up watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre as like a middle schooler and had no idea. My <laughs> brain could not, could not yeah. process it, but I watched it just a few years ago and I was actually surprised at how unviolent it was compared I mean it's it's terrifying and uncomfortable and claustrophobic but it's not as violent as my as my mind processed to be it's more uh it's got a lot of psychological humor to it yes. and, and I just and think it's, it's more that yeah. yeah go ahead sorry and that type of movie I was just I don't mean to interrupt but that type of movie of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I can see the influence that Raimi had for that. Also, Nightmare, not there, uh, Night of the Woman Dead, is it's a lot of, again, the claustrophobic POV type of stuff that happens. It makes you feel personal, like you're in the middle of it. Mm. And I feel like that's a big influence for Evil Dead. The previous, and I think that, that Evil Dead reinforced that in some of the later ones that came after, and that kind of claustrophobic, bringing that claustrophobic personal touch that wasn't always... Like let's let's say Friday the Thirteenth. You don't really get that in Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, it's just you know, I mean, yeah, they're stuck in a camp, but mm -hmm. it, but you don't take anything personal in Friday the Thirteenth. Really, it's just Jason running around. Well, spoiler alert: it's not Jason in the first one, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody saw the first scream uh, knows that by now. But um, yeah, yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's interesting to think about at the time the movies came out. What was the temperature like, and what would how would audiences have felt seeing it and i think you were kind of getting into some about Raimi's style so maybe we can transition into there a little bit i i found a few quotes from the ever trusty wikipedia um that i thought were sort of interesting that or information that i was given was that um bruce campbell and sam Raimi they did this experiments at the drive-in 
right? And they went to the drive-in movies to sort of watch how audiences reacted to those movies. And that was kind of their test case for what they wanted to do. And that was the audience they wanted to appeal to. I thought that was really interesting because I know you love the drive-in. I like the drive-in, but a drive-in horror is a very specific audience. They ended up deciding their technique would be to keep the pace fast and furious and once the horse starts never let up the gorier the merrier so that was sort of the philosophy they they decided to go with and, and that whole portion of it of leading up to how well obviously they did that test of, of uh what's the short film that he put together in the woods wild in the woods wild in the woods yeah yeah so before they even put that test together to do evil dead to get the money to make evil dead mm -hmm. like sam didn't know hardly anything about horror movies right and i think that was what influenced a lot what right at the time he started going to see these kind of independent and grindhouse you know drive-in type of movies and i think that really influenced where he went with evil dead and it's just fascinating to see kind of all that. And I think the first one that he really saw the click with him was Halloween because that was in 78, I believe it was. Yeah, 78. And that was prior to when he made the short. And uh, thankfully, it just led to his style. But he also has a, he has a very indicative style that may have kind of come from some of those predecessors, but he really made his own stamp. He put his own stamp on the genre. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So before we get too much into the techniques, specific techniques used in different movies, I did want to talk about Ash first before okay. we get there. Because I feel like mean, one of the peels... Ash? <laughs> well, there, there you go. You, you have... won't be able to see it on the podcast, but if you're looking at the video... Just yeah, if you're on the, the video... Official, official Evil Dead Ash, and this is the official Funko... Okay. Evil Dead 2 Ash. This is sorry, this is Army of Darkness Ash here. And then there's Evil Dead Ash here. So, oh yeah, you anyway. should have uh pulled out the messenger bag, but you may not you may not have it. I love yeah, the messenger. Yeah, I do I still have it. I just haven't, <laughs> I haven't brought it yeah. out. <laughs> well what because I feel like one of the big appeals of this movie is actually Ash himself and Bruce Campbell himself. Watching the movie, it was a little, you know, in that was interesting to me that we have this element, the final guy. We always, I always hear about the final girl. Right. And you don't always hear about a final guy, I, I guess. Um, you know, it's not a, it's just not a thing. But um, that's a trope, you know, the trope being final girl. But it's, watching him was really interesting because in the first movie, he's such a, a Mr. Bumble. You know, he's not, yes. um, everybody else, is sort of engaged early on in trying to fight these entities and getting trying and failing miserably fighting them but at least they're doing something and <laughs> ash's strategy seems to be to just stand in the back with his axe and think about using it um so it was yeah and he's got you know we made as much fun as we make fun of will with the bowl cut i mean ash kind of had that bowl cut look also he had, yeah the original he was looking a little odd uh, but i don't know whether that was the fact that he just did it or sam may have made him make his have a silly haircut because that's what sam does is he tortures bruce mm -hmm. that's just what he does that's their friendship but yeah he was number one ash is a very 
different character that by the time he gets to Army of Darkness very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's more they were feeling out kind of what it was in a way that, you know, what they had filmed previously, like doing high school and student films together, you know, they did a lot of comedy and, mm-hmm. you know, they I think that they toned at least Bruce, both Bruce and Sam, I can't speak for either of them on this, I just kind of speculation kind of dialed him back a little bit just so that he was, again, that sort of stooge in the corner. Yeah. And he spoke mostly through his facial expressions and things. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's Evil Dead's an interesting, is an interesting Ash. It's a, it's a baby Ash. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he really, he really just evolves from start to finish, but it's, he has this group of friends but he's sort of, yeah, it was, it, it, we had, we had his girlfriend, his sister's there, and then there's this other couple, and he and the other guy kind of bump heads a little bit, but that's sometimes how, how guys can be when they're sharing a space. It's like, who's going to be the alpha male? Right. Um, but yeah, it was interesting just watching him evolve over the course of the franchise, and he was such a square at the beginning and it was i was like what this is this guy is supposed to be the badass of the series how's that gonna happen <laughs> but as it happens but yeah, yeah as everybody else drops out <laughs> gets killed he's sort of forced to deal with it and um at, at some point ash has to ash has had enough because that's when like you talked about sam torturing bruce and it's interesting because there's several times in these movies where he, Bruce uh, Ash actually says, why are you torturing me? Why do you keep doing this to me? And it's almost it almost seems like his direct Bruce talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talking. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely. It's, it's, I think that the, they did have a script, but I think there's also some personal ad living in some of these things that get in. And it's, mm-hmm. it, as they got more comfortable with doing things and Bruce got more comfortable in front of the screen. I think he also added a lot more to the Ash character. I think there's a lot of Bruce in Ash. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those evolutionary things. Yeah. His haircut, knowing that, knowing that Sam Raimi loves, you know, he sort of wanted to make really wanted to make a comedy at the beginning. It mm-hmm. makes sense that they would almost have uh, Bruce dress up like a stooge and like, we're going to give you the stooge haircut and your dress. Yep in this very square-like outfit. But over the course, Ash keeps losing clothes. And, you know, at one point he's got <laughs> his shirt sleeve torn off and then he's he's become the ultimate badass. But it's, um, but yeah, he's just he's just an interesting character. What, do you, what is it you like so much about Ash? What do you think is the appeal of him as a, as a hero? It's very interesting. That's... It's a fascinating question because I don't know if I can put my finger on it other than it's just Bruce. Um, He's just got this weird charisma about him. I mean, no matter what he does, he just has that. And the thing about Ash as a character, though, is that especially from Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, you know, Evil Dead 2, he does have this comedy slapstick to him, but he's also a badass. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't ever... When have you... Even still, since then, have you seen somebody replace their cutoff hand with a chainsaw? I mean, 
that's just one of those things it's just iconic mm-hmm. that sticks with you as a as kind of a fan and you know just his facial expressions the way that he can you know he's he talks a bit about this in his first book if chins could kill and you know how the evolution and how he and sam used to talk about well there's the idea of this perfect chiseled hero with his giant chin and chiseled mm-hmm. looks and everything like that him going into the situation and being bumbling but also heroic and kind of being i call it usually typically force gumping into something you know when you inadvertently fall mm-hmm. into a situation that's kind of what i see in ash he still comes out and we can all feel that way like we might be like ash when we're stuck in the cabin and we don't know what is going on but we finally get fed up and we're just going to fight back and not give up but we kind of bumble into situations here and there and then when you get to army of darkness he just becomes the <laughs> he just becomes like the archetype <laughs> of like the parody of the action hero mm-hmm. you know with the one-liners and you know Oh, this is what we call pillow talk, baby. You know that kind of stuff. It's uh, he, so he kind of embodies that that fantasy of the, the action hero, but we know he's not really because we know he's Ash. Mm-hmm. He's still an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So we can kind of relate to it. You know, it's a long-winded answer to mm-hmm. not one hundred percent sure, but it has to do with the evolution of the character and the touches that Bruce and Sam bring to it. You know, I think I think he's relatable that he which you touched on he didn't um he doesn't start out like a big hero but he becomes he moves into that but I did think it was interesting <clears throat> like his fatal flaw seems to be women and <laughs> you, you talked about in the last movie how he becomes sort of this archetype but he's trying to he treats this the love and eventual love interest sort of dismissive almost brings that dom energy where he's just like (laughs) whatever do do what you want um but yeah it's the thing that in the end but in the end that's the reason why he sticks around yeah because uh, because sheila doesn't she gets kidnapped by the deadites and he's like okay well i'm not gonna stand for this Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah but i did think it was funny how just every time he get he sees the the necklace he's just he's just oh, like linda's necklace oh linda <laughs> and he's like there's this great you know the woman with the he sticks her face in the vise and he's just like ah! you know he can't <laughs> stand but what so then in the third movie he's supposed to perform this heroic action but because this woman <laughs> He just can't do it. And it's, I was like, I, to the point now where I'm like, oh no, Ash, no, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that's sort of his little fatal flaw that yes, he's a softy at heart. He's a softy at heart. Exactly. <laughs> he, and in Army of Darkness, he plays that tough guy persona up, you know, mm-hmm. but I think he, he, sometimes I think in the Army of Darkness, you can see it. He's doing it because he's, first of all, when he first gets there and he gets thrown in the pit, he's just fed up. Like he just totally comes out of the pit and scares them all off with his boomstick, you know, and he's like, I'm done. I am done. You know. <laughs> but then after that, he, then he starts playing up the because he's being treated like king, you know, he starts realizing he starts playing up that that tough guy persona, but you know he's still ash. And in the end, he is. He's, you know, still the softy. Yeah, exactly. So I wanna talk about each of the movies 
and about how wildly different they all are. Like, I guess a question is, does that help it or hurt it? Because I've, I was trying to think if I could think of any other trilogy that is as different as each of these movies are to each other. <laughs> like, if you think about The Godfather, they're all like the same tone. You know, you can tell they all like share the same basic structure or feel. Whereas these movies each feel completely different what they're trying to accomplish and who they're who might like them and it's yeah we talk about um what do you what do you call it like the person it's almost like a personality test you know which one of these movies do you like the best i can tell a lot about you and what you might like to watch based on that fact alone it's true yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd have to sit here. I didn't think, even think about that, but you're right. I'd, I'd have to sit and like think if there's another trilogy. Like, there are some trilogies that, of course, that do different things, but don't do it this way. Mm-hmm. And so I have one character that's just consistent, although not consistent, but he's got an arc all the way through. It's like if you think about the Indiana Jones series, I mean, they have different feels to them, but Indiana is still indie, you know. Uh, you know, you're right. I don't know. Uh, you're right about the litmus, litmus test too, because you can tell a lot. Litmus about test, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the first movie, The Evil Dead, that's the one that came out in 1981. It's the one that is the most horror overall. They they knew when they were talking to uh, you know people that knew the business. They mm. and again, Sam and Bruce have previously done like some comedic stuff and they wanted more comedy, but they said that if you want to make money, you need to do these grindhouse horror films, uh, at least to get established, especially at that time. And so, I think that going more the tradition, I mean, not, not that the evil dead is traditional at all. I mean, it is mm-hmm. as far as like you said, the cabin in the woods and people on spring break, blah blah, the tropes. And honestly, some of those tropes were only basic tropes at the time and now are huge tropes uh, you know in, in the future for uh, people who are influenced but um it was much more straightforward as far as like just being more hor- more horror far less of the slapstick you get in people that too and doing more still over the top horror but more straightforward horror mm-hmm. and they i would say it is I didn't mean safe as an insult. I just mean if you want to bring in horror fans, yeah, you yeah. kind of give them something familiar, but it had so much of Raimi's signature style on it that did still make it different. So um, we have things like the, I don't know what you want to call it, like the demon cam or the demon vision. Demon cam, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, that was pretty revolutionary right had that been used before well you saw it in a few different things like you know i i can't can't recall specifics but you start to see it in some of the influences of like uh uh, the car uh really weird cult classic but you see the perspective of the car chasing people down Mm. you know so you see that some of those influences prior to evil the evil dead but and there may and there's gonna be some cinephiles out there that are going to correct me big time uh the, you know you you didn't see a ton of those first perspective running along the ground type of demon camp shots unless it was like maybe an action movie or a western or something mm-hmm. like that using it in a horror film especially the way Raimi used it 
was awesome and it was very distinctive and i think that's really what set the movie one of, one of the reasons why the movie was set apart visually <laughs> anyway yeah and it was just made by putting a camera on a board and then the camera a you know, person would just run as fast as yep <laughs> all of those techniques that are even all through armory darkness are so low by uh it's just hilarious mm-hmm but one of the things I wanted to talk about, like things, a few of the things I really like about it, I'd like to hear your perspective, but I think the music really cracks me up. It's just over the top and melodramatic. Um, it's not, I feel like in the 70s and 80s, if you listen to most horror soundtracks, it's very synthy. Um, and that wow, 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 they do stuff like that. And they did a, that a little bit, but the main themes are all like, you know, Oscar winning performances. <laughs> the person is going for an award. I was like, this almost sounds like Bernard Herman type music. It's orchestral. Orchestral, yeah. Yeah. And that was that was that was the first one I was like, what is up with this music score? Because this is making it almost, you know, just a little crazy that they would have this. Um, the angles, of course, where they just kind of go wonky and it gets more wonky towards the end of the movie. Um, but even at the beginning, there was this 360 camera thing you would do a lot. Um, like the group is all gathered around the hole in the attic and the camera just kind of goes around to each one of them and comes back around. And uh, it happens several times, like Ash is yeah. down the basement and the camera goes around the room, which is a weird effect because the camera you kind of it starts looking at ash but then after that it could be ash himself looking around the room but then it comes back to ash so it's like whose perspective is it yeah it's exactly. kind of an out-of-body experience at that point yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mean it, it's a th that's the thing about sam raimi's techniques and you see it in his later films like i mean one of the big ones that you see it really spider-man 2 you see a lot of those techniques that he was just having fun playing around with things you see it later in a big budget way so mm -hmm. i think those are fun I, it was just them having fun you know i don't out of boredom just out of like sheer curiosity was like let's just do this this is gonna be cool yeah and that's creativity where you can play that's where you can play like in your first movie that is your low budget thing that um that is what is so revolutionary about horror i feel like it is almost the, the most experimental genre where people can really do that yeah and then the house itself. Now the house gets more crazy in Evil Dead too, but the house looks tiny on the outside. But once you get inside, it's like a TARDIS. It's bigger <laughs> on the inside. That's right. <laughs> uh, it reminded me about the the Shining. How that house? There's all these maps people have drawn of the house and how it doesn't make sense on the inside it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so that that was something that really stood out what about you chris what do you i don't know what do you think about this movie i know it's not your favorite of the franchise but it's, it's not my favorite but i love the creativity like you can see not only in what they had to do because the shoot lasted them four weeks longer than they expected and it was out in the middle of nowhere it was freezing cold they didn't have water it's just nuts the stuff they went through mm -hmm. but it looks like you know yes it does look like a low budget in the horror film but it has so many techniques that's done to it that elevates it that you know it's it's, it's just a seminal film yeah it's not my favorite um of the three 
by far, but it still shows that nascency of what Sam Raimi's trying to accomplish and where Bruce is trying to go with the character. So it's still fun and it's still over the top. And mm-hmm. I like some of the crazy effects that they came up with trying to, you know, black on the spur of the moment. But like you said, I think the most fascinating things are the in-camera moments, the, the weird shots, the demon cam, those fun things that elevated. And the score. I don't know how they did pull off that score. The angles, I feel like the effect that has is bringing you into the house. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, which you've kind of talked about that before, is that these these were sort of bringing you into the house with the person and made it more personal. Yes. And so that's how that's how that happens. But yeah, it's interesting to think about how they did it itself. And for and even all when people, the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, even when people went outside, there was always something forcing them back into the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you still, you're in this woods, you're in the vast woods, and you could go and run and go as far as you want to, but something's always going to take you back. And that's true in Evil Dead, too, as well. But, yeah, it's 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 forcing you to be in this claustrophobic environment. Mm-hmm. And again, it's an influence you see in a few other films of the time and later, like The Thing. The Thing was also based on the original 50s thing, which is another claustrophobic kind of horror film. But those types of claustrophobic environments make you feel not only tight and scared, but also you have no choice but to be with those people and you feel more personal. Mm -hmm. The last thing I will say about this movie, and I feel like it really relates to Evil Dead 2 also, is that for all I said at the beginning about them saying they wanted to keep the past pace fast and furious and once the horse starts never let up the action does breathe there are a few moments where ash kind of comes down he has moments of grief he expresses or fear and i feel like that really is an asset to the movie and a lot of horror these days that's made needs to learn from that because sometimes there's almost that we're just gonna shock the audience the whole time and they don't sort of give that those moments to ease off because that's actually what creates the tension of horror for audiences and makes it scarier because if you're just scare 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 all the time jump scare after jump scare after a while diminishing returns yeah you get numb that's you you have to have that breather and then that next scare is going to be even worse because you'll you don't know when it's coming either because you're sitting there you're relaxing you're like something's going to happen something's going to happen and that's some of the movies that you see is like this brilliant is like nothing does happen you're like wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) that's not the case in evil dead because they're still coming after you but it happens Mm -hmm. in later films all right so moving on to evil dead 2 i i will have to i'll just admit to you right now this is my favorite and i think you already knew that but yeah out of all of them this is my favorite because it really had that perfect mix of horror and comedy and I got to see, I saw it the first time at home by myself and loved it. I saw it with a live audience and that was great too, getting to see, hear people's live reactions to the movies. And of course, some people had never seen it before and some people had. But this um, really added the slapstick humor into the mix and and got the... Three Stooges humor. So can you talk about that? Because I know you you know a lot about that. 
Sure. I mean, it was because historically it was because the, they, you know, obviously with Raymond wanting to make money and get Evil Dead released, he had to go through a bunch of hoops. And he also wasn't 100% happy with the way the studio handled it and so on and so forth and distribution. Then they went on to shoot a movie called Crime Wave and then the studio just massacred it and he hated that experience. So he was like, all right, we're going to do redo Evil Dead. I want to do it my way and we're going we're gonna to insert some comedy. But then also he wanted to do it of like, where it was the medieval dead it was army of darkness army of darkness mm-hmm. was meant to be the sequel but there's no they just couldn't afford it so they went back and said well all right let's just do evil dead again and we'll tell it better and we'll do it the way we really want to do it with a little bit more budget and because of that comedic side that ramian and, and bruce campbell had brought before and of course the other crew and and, and sam's brother ted and things like that they just they said they wanted to still make that horror, but insert that slapstick. And you know, is it over the top for some people? Yes, one hundred percent. It's not somebody. It's a lot of people's cup of tea when they see it. And they're like, "What? Why is why is this? I mean, it's not. Well, this is the Adams family. Why is that hand skittering across the floor and then giving them the finger and going through a mouse hole? You know, it's totally Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. So some people think it's silly. But at the same time, a lot of people love it because the horror is still there. The comedy mm-hmm. gives that relief, that breathing a little bit. Um, and it's just different because there really there really wasn't a whole lot of movies like that before Evil Dead 2. And you see, you saw that later, especially in the 90s. Um, Arachnophobia and uh, Lake Placid and a lot of those movies that started to inject humor into... The, these horrific situations and i believe a lot of those have, have were influenced by what they did in evil dead 2 now those movies aren't as over the top obviously as evil dead 2 is but that influence of people liking those that bit of humor in their horror is there like probably four or five years before it really became prevalent in the 90s it really shocked me how they you know at the end of evil dead one again guys this is spoiler spoiler full so evil dead <laughs> one it shows that bruce is possessed but yeah in evil dead two it's just like eh, never mind we're just gonna shove <laughs> evil dead one in in the first five minutes of this movie yeah they just kind of wave mm-hmm. hands at that but it's yeah fine. yeah and so it's almost it's almost like a reset a reset button you know, that we're going to, like you said, we're going to redo it the way that we want. But it really, they had more of a budget and they did this, all this crazy, all these crazy things where, you know, Bruce's hand is in that, in anim, is animated and all of that. And that the house itself becomes more outrageous. Now we were supposed to ask questions at the event and I had my hand up, but because I was in the balcony and some guy in the balcony asked him a question about mayonnaise, that was ridiculous. Nobody else in the balcony got to ask any questions. He ruined it for the rest of us, but there's always somebody (laughs) (laughs) I wanted. What I wanted to ask him was in the universe of the movie, why were those passages built? Ash is going in the drywall house and for for some reason it makes it wild and crazy but you're like what why is the house that way and was it like that in Evil Dead 1 because in e- the first one you uh we did have a couple scenes where that he looks in the bathtub and there's 
it looks like paper walls. So I'm like, is the passage there now? And <laughs> you know, did you and not have... to mention and not to mention the basement? I mean, the basement, yeah, it's pretty creepy. It's it's weird, but it's weird too because it also it doesn't seem like it, the the physics of it works either. It's got like some you know weird things that happen, especially when he gets drugged down there and you start to see the geometry of the basement. Like it, the, the cabin is just possessed anyway. It's a total different dimension. So it's just, it's strange. But that adds to the, the appeal of the movie too, because you think that, you know, it's just a, this is a thing that is out of time and space, if I can add a Lovecraft reference. Um, which obviously since Evil Dead 2 has an Economicon, there is Lovecraft references, but even I think Raimi has said that Lovecraft didn't really influence these films a ton, other than using Necronomicon. You know, Ash is there quite a long time by himself before the other people show up. And I almost was like, oh, I wish these people weren't here. We're like, couldn't we have just made a movie with Ash? But I guess just with Ash. Need, yeah. I guess we just needed their stupidity to add, you know, give him something to extra an extra thing to have to get tortured by but it almost felt like the movie definitely became a little less interesting once we had other people because he was doing so well sort of fighting the entity right. by himself but... and it's a weird that part of Evil Dead 2 has a weird flop to it I think they did okay with editing but at the same time you go from this frenetic stuff that Ash is going through the entire time and then all of a sudden these random characters show up and you're like is it the movie half over now it's not really it just feels mm -hmm. like it is but yeah. it is um it is it's an interesting choice but you're right i think it's there to be the foil for ash like you know not only is he having to deal with this cabin and this, this demonic entity that's surrounding it now we have a bunch of idiots show up that he's got to deal with too right yeah but it's great no. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great movie it's great yeah. and there's the the blood the blood levels are ridiculous like there's not there's not that much blood inside of a human being no that red the redneck guy i don't remember his name but when he gets drugged down into the basement and all that blood comes squirting that's the same thing i'm talking about yeah that's that yeah. that's that nightmare on elm street uh original nightmare on elm street type of blood level yeah yeah so then we move into army of darkness which and that's my favorite yeah which is your sweet spot for sure yeah so I think yeah. you should you should be the lead on this one. So at the end of Evil Dead 2, for people, hopefully everybody listened to this has seen them, but if you haven't, um, spoilers, uh, everybody dies in the Evil Dead 2 Super Ash, and a portal gets opened up uh, by a passage in Necronomicon, and it gets swallowed up and deposited back in Arthurian times. So this was originally supposed to be called uh, Mid-Evil Dead, which I think is a brilliant title mm -hmm. but they couldn't they couldn't get away with it when they got the studio uh backing for this they were like nobody knows what is what, do you, what does that mean and so they had to rename it army darkness but so he ends up showing up arthur is at uh odds with another uh, person in the land he he when he first shows up they don't know what to do with him they throw him in the pit he fights a dead eye he gets back out uh and then he becomes sort of the hero because he's defeated the dead ice and shown he can. It also he kind of decks, uh, you know, he becomes the, the the what we think is the antagonist's hero, but really nobody that's human is the antagonist in this. It's 
just one of those things that that is butting heads. And so eventually he unites both sides, but that's after he fights off the Deadite army. Whole bunch of stuff happens, which I, I don't want to give away too much because if you haven't yeah. seen Army of Darkness, you should. Because uh, it's it a gets, very different film. Yeah, it kind of gets into that chosen one almost because yeah. Ash brings everybody together. But I think another thing that's interesting is that at the end, they have Evil Dead too. They kind of show he arrives and everybody worships him because there's this prophecy almost that this right, person is right. going to show up. And he shows up and everybody's bowing to him. And then in when Army of Darkness starts, he's in he's in prison. So it's like, wait, he's what happened? He's in prison. You know, they, yeah, you're like, what? Something happened between here and here. And they decided, well, we're going to go this way rather than yeah. the other way. So they zigzagged a bit. Um, but I don't, you know, I, it's one of those stories, too, that I don't know if it's 100% true or not. But when Raimi finished up Evil Dead 2, you know, he thought, well, he had he wanted to do Medieval Deads, but he's like, I'm going to do Army of Darkness, uh, Evil Dead 2. They didn't know if they'd be able to make Army of Darkness, and for a while it sat there. And mm-hmm. they finally got Studio back in court and were able to do it. But I think that in that time of thinking of the way that the, the ending happened, they were like, well, we got to meet, we need to make, we need to torture Ash a little more before <laughs> this other stuff happens. And so I think it got rewritten a bit. It's cool because it sets up and I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but I'm going to. It sets up the end of Evil Dead 2 and the way it ends sets up the actual original ending for Army of Darkness. And I don't know if you've seen that or not. I have not. Okay, so the original ending of Army of Darkness. So what happens is at the end, they give him the potion, he goes to sleep. Uh, the theatrical release. He wakes up, he's back working at S-Mart. All of a sudden... <laughs> And Ted Raimi's there. All of a sudden, a deadite shows up. He kills the deadite. He's cool. Yeah, he's, he's cool. He's got the girl. He's cool. He's got the girl. It <laughs> ends. They wanted to redo that ending because the studio didn't like the original ending that they made. The original ending is that he is in there drinking, and he hears a noise and forgets what his count, and drinks one more than he should, and he wakes up and staggers out of the cave, and everything is just post-apocalyptic like there's a big cityscape that has been uh you know blown up and obliterated and he gets he just goes like no i slept too long and i was like oh i want that to be the real ending because then they could do the next one where he's actually in the future mad max style or whatever Mm -hmm. that's the best ending and uh for anybody out there who nowadays when you rent it or see it they'll, they'll typically include that alternate ending in some of the collector's editions. Highly recommend you look at it. It's probably available on YouTube. So if you want to see it, you should. Yeah, I think I just learned today there was a second ending. And that was, I was like, hmm, I wonder what, I was going to wait and do the podcast before I, I watched that. <laughs> before you watched it? You'll yeah. like it. Because I, I, I didn't know if you would be like, uh, I don't like the second ending. You know, people, no. people when people talk about endings, they people can be picky about endings and think oh, that's very the true. <laughs> I like the. I mean, the the original, not the original, but the theatrical ending for it is okay. It's like you know, it's it's Ash being Ash. He's like he's the badass now, and he's got the girl. And actually, that ending is the one that they stick with to do Ash versus Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. So it's a progression of that storyline. They never got to go back and revisit what happens in alternate universe a where ash sleeps too long as in the future which is a shame because that would have been an amazing film 
And I think they did it sort of as a joke because they didn't know if they'd make another one or not. But it reminded me of the end of Evil Dead 2 because at the end of that, they wanted to make Army of Darkness, but they didn't know if they were going to be able to. Mm-hmm. So it's another one. Of those, it's kind of like what a lot of people say, or you compare it to the end of Back to the Future, when Doc Brown shows up and says, it's your, it's your kids, Marty. We got to go. We got to save your kids. We got to go back to the future and save your kids. That was a joke ending. But of course, since the movie did so well, they continued it. And it's in that same vein. Which I think yeah. Fun. Yeah, it would have been fun to see Ash in the future. But maybe somebody will make a different movie. It won't have Bruce Campbell in it. Maybe. But I don't think we have. Maybe we do have that kind of movie. But I don't. I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. No. I yeah. Don't think so. not, not with Bruce anyway. Yeah. But Army of Darkness <clears throat> for me was just. It was. This was like I. It was more like, oh, this feels like Monty Python or, you know, it's just it's it was too much comedy for me. So (laughs) I'm glad I saw it. It had some it had some good quotes and some funny Ash moments. And there was the funny moment where he couldn't run over the woman with the car because he was such a sucker. But (laughs) other than that, I was like, "Uh, this isn't this isn't my, you know, my litmus test has is marking this with a big old extra Rooney. But um, but yeah. And I think the reason why I liked it is just because, well, it hit me at the right time, too. Yeah. Was, uh, you know, I'd seen Evil Dead, too, and I knew of Bruce Campbell. And, you know, seeing the Army of Darkness, it just, you know, Bruce became the cult status of Ash. And that and seeing it at that time and really showing it to a lot of different people through college, that really cemented that the Evil Dead universe for me. So Army of Darkness became kind of my my one. But it is it is a lot of slapstick. It's a lot of weird humor. Um, it's a lot of stooge humor, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, and it has a lot of one-liners. But at the same time, if you watch it with the eye, the idea that it's sort of a again, Evil Dead Two, in my opinion, is a little bit of a parody of horror movies. Army of Darkness is a little bit of a parody of the hero's journey, and I think that yeah. if you watch them in that context, it's real fun. Before we close this overall episode, I wanted to. I don't know. Talk about the car. We like cars, Chris. We talked about <laughs> Fast and Furious and watched. And we've talked about a lot of cars, yes. So it's it's another instance to have another a signature car here, and it's a it 1973. Go ahead. Sorry, 1973. No, you go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I have the. I have what I. I think it's a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. It is yes. No, it's... also known as the classic. The classic. That's okay. what they call it. That's the nickname for the car that Rain would give it. Yeah, the classic. Okay. Um, I, I did. Th- I did think it was interesting. It was an Oldsmobile. I don't know if I mentioned to you my first car was was an Oldsmobile. It was not a Delta. It was a a Cutlass Sierra. Ooh. And uh, the you were the, living the high life. <laughs> <laughs> the year was a 1988. But why is it called Delta 88? That was just what the the brand. I mean, the the type of car it was. Yeah, but it wasn't. I don't hit. know the specific history of the Delta eighty eight. I just I know that this history of this Delta eighty eight, but not Delta eighty eight in particular. Not my not my brand of vehicle to be driving, if you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. I love seeing it in the in every every Sam Raimi movie ever, basically. Yeah. No. What was it in Doctor Strange? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I meant to go back and look through it honestly before we did this this podcast. That was one thing I was going to do because I was like. 
because I thought about it. I was like, was the classic in there? I'm pretty sure it was. I mean, of course, Bruce was. So if if, if Bruce is in it, then the classic's got to be in it. Unless for some reason the Delta 80 has not been rebuilt, but he's rebuilt it a million times. Yeah. It's kind of a good luck charm. So I don't see why it wouldn't be. I would like to see now that, you know, now that I know that little trick i would i would sort of like to go back to all the movies and see well where can i find the car you know yeah. one of the one of the greatest ones uh was the cameo when he first did spider-man because um we were all we're all waiting number one for bruce to show up and then number two we're like is the classic gonna be in this and it was it, uncle ben was driving hmm. he was driving it when he let peter off and they had the kind of the argument that he drove off that he was driving he was driving the classic so yeah, is I don't know. He was, you know, Bruce was making fun of at the show. He was talking about um, with Toby every time he would show up for the movie, and Toby would be like, "Oh, you're here again," <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he was surprised, like, "Oh, I didn't." He, I guess Toby didn't know they were friends or whatever. So he's like, "Yeah, oh, this guy's here again." But oh, he this was, guy's here again. <laughs> yeah, and he's playing a completely different role. And then he's like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> called acting, Toby." <laughs> um but yeah yuck a minute bruce campbell you know he's just he's He's, i wish i I wish i could have seen bruce arama i really enjoy seeing him speak you know i've met him about three times about this point and he's just great he's fantastic so now the new movie's coming out i'm still waiting for a press screening hopefully to come out if not i'm going to go see it but i am really curious about the movie because I saw the Evil Dead 2013, saw that one, and it was so different. There was, you know, there's no comedy. We talked about having comedy with no horror. This was like horror with really no comedy. But and they, they thought were... they were being cool putting a final girl in it. And you're just like, no, 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 no. It was cool. It was a <laughs> final guy because now it's cliche that it's a final girl. So yeah. I didn't enjoy that remake at all. But... So you watched, you watched the whole thing of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was... Yeah, it was uh, not something I enjoyed as much and don't even consider it almost in the same universe, although they kept trying to remind you of things from those movies. They tried to tie it together, but it just didn't work. Yeah. 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 But Evil Dead Rise, and I've I've heard rumors that it's quite the thing. And um, so I am curious, but that that is why I'm doing this podcast, because I thought this might be a good time to talk about it for people who haven't seen it or just kind of want to review it yeah it looks intense i mean i feel like i've seen the whole movie at this point because there have been so many trailers and <laughs> streaming that i've seen um i don't i as much as i love evil dead i this is one i'll probably wait not to see it of course i haven't seen a ton of theaters lately anyway right um, but i am interested to see how they continue continue this. I, I hope that it's better than the 2013 one um but how they're going to kind of whether they're going to tie it together or not or just have fun with the evil dead name i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know right because evil dead itself what made it so great is the reinvention and once you get into that franchise territory sometimes that in spirit of invention and creativity goes away or is no longer there and you're just yeah. trying to set up the nostalgia or like remember this remember this so yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I agree. Let's hope it's good. Mm-hmm. I want to continue. I, I mean, as much as I am a little trepidatious, but I would like for them to continue to make Evil Dead movies. 
And I would like to see Sam and Bruce get back together and make make Army of Darkness too, whatever they want to call that one, the future one. Apocalypse of Darkness. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um. Well, before you say goodbye, would is there anything you want to plug? I'm gonna give you that opportunity. I mean, you've plugged sure. your brand, but you want to talk about your game. I mean, my game, sure. On April 25th on Kickstarter, on Tuesday, April 25th, I'll be launching a game called Milkman. That's going to be the first true relaunch title of uh, the, the Dice Hit Me Games, kind of uh, Phoenix Rising edition of, of Dice Hit Me Games. So hoping to, I'm still working on pricing for that, but hoping to be around $35 for the Kickstarter version and more would be on retail. So you'll get a discount on Kickstarter. And it is a, what do we like to call a one-hour wonder, which means it plays with really nice, good decision space, but in under an hour makes you feel really good. And essentially, you're just managing your dairy farm in the 1950s, your cows, milking your cows, making milk, loading on the truck, taking around the neighborhoods, making customers happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you guys should check that out. And it's a nice out. game. It's, yeah. Uh, Chris is always, he has good games that are like different levels of intensity. And this is, should be a one that you can you know, be a good party game or a good starter game. So, very, yeah. very, yeah, very approachable. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, That's thank it. you for your, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your time and attention. And, and uh, yeah, signing off one of my stories. Good night, everybody. Good night.